Today's uh, scripture reading <clears throat> will be First uh, Timothy one one through seven, and it's found in uh, your Bibles on the pew on page one thousand two hundred and forty three. I'll give you all time to look up that verse, and it'll also be Second uh, Timothy four one through five. Verse one, First Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. In the presence of God, this is 2 Timothy 4, 1-5. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what, what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. May, the God, may God bless the reading of his word. All right, well, we're back in People of the Way. We're going to uh, kind of wrap things up this week and next week. And then, of course, at our Christmas Eve service, uh, we'll be talking about Christmas. But... Uh, But we're going to kind of wrap this series up. It's been a series that's looked at one of the first churches in Christian history. Uh, Just shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection, the gospel began to spread. And in about 50 AD, it had spread to this great city called Ephesus. And uh, and a couple different people took the gospel there. And you could say that the Apostle Paul had the greatest influence on the beginnings of this church. And and this was one of the largest cities in the world. It was... It was one of the most learned cities in the world. It had a, um, it had a, the library there was the third largest in the, in the world. It had 12,000 manuscripts. And, and if that doesn't seem impressive to you, just remember there were no publishing houses, right? There was no printing press. This was handwritten, uh, you know, copied documents and scrolls and things that they had on file there at this library in Ephesus. So scholars from around the world would travel there. And learn in Ephesus, and, and this, so this this was quite a city, and and this church took root in this small little community of believers, and and they began to learn about the way, and, and we talked about how you know they at first thought that this was just a religion that they that they were supposed to live for God, but it was it was all religion and no power. And Paul showed up and said, no, this is also about God living in you, that, that His Holy Spirit is necessary to live this life out. 
Now also, uh, we, we read about and learned about how they began to share the way and how for them, their faith was not just a private thing, a private decision that they made, but it was a public change that was on display to their community. And their community saw it. It wasn't like an in-your-face kind of thing, but they just said, look, here's who I was, here's who I am now, I'm going to live this out publicly. This is not just a, a private thing, but this is something that affects my whole life in public as well as in private. And, and so they shared the way. And then last week we learned about how Paul wrote to them from prison and said, let me teach you some more about what it means to live the way because who you are in Christ has to match up with what you do. And what you do shows who you are. And so we talked about the importance of those things matching up last week. And this week we're going to talk about defending the way. Defending the way. And you know, one of the reasons that we're looking at this series is because if, if a little community of believers in a big city like Ephesus could turn its whole community on its head and, and impact it in such a positive way for Christ, then just imagine what Cypress Street Church of God can do in our community. And so we've been looking back and we've been asking the question, you know, what have we perhaps forgotten or need to be reminded of since 2,000 years ago when, when the church was just getting its start and so there are things they needed to be learning and be reminded of, and we're walking in those same steps through this series. And, and today as we talk about defending the way, it kind of made me think about uh, how really good and effective great companies, like businesses, they defend the brand, right? They have a, they have a brand or something, and they, they defend it. If it's, a, it's, a, if it's good and it's effective, they want to make sure that they defend that brand uh, they don't want it to get watered down. They don't want it to get uh, lost in translation. Or you know, they don't want it to get changed up where it's no longer effective. And so they are busy defending the brand. So what I want to do for just a second as we get started here is kind of put on a different hat. And I'm not Pastor Neil anymore right now. putting on my other hat. I am coming to you as the CEO and founder of Awesome Sauce Burger Company. Awesome Sauce Burger Company. We believe in fresh ingredients friendly service, and awesome burgers. And I'm here today because I'm wanting to take some suggestions from you wise, smart people about how we can take our business to the next level. You know, things have been going good at Awesome Sauce, but we can do more awesome things, we believe. And so, uh, just if you have a suggestion, anybody? Anybody have a... Burritos are great. They are great. Thank you. Thank you for that suggestion. I appreciate that. Um, but, you know, we are a burger company. We're not Burger Bueno. All right? And, and we don't want to be Burger Bueno. We're kind of, we're focused in on, on the awesome burger thing. So, but I appreciate it. Ingredients longer. I know you say 
fresh ingredients friendly service and that, that's part of your slogan. But we'll just cut the fresh ingredients part out. You can use frozen ingredients, don't so freeze the lettuce. That's the only thing you can't really freeze really well. Um, but if you freeze the rest of them, such as your French fries, if you get frozen beef, oh my goodness, you can save so much money. Also, you should look into frozen ice. You should check that out. Frozen ice, thank you. Thank you for that suggestion. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, we've definitely punched the numbers on the whole frozen thing, but, you know, we've been committed to the, from the beginning to our customers that when they come to Awesome Sauce Burger Company, they get fresh ingredients, so I don't think we can... Uh, one more? Well, that's good, yeah. Burritos, frozen, that's not... All right. Thank you. Thank you for these have all been really good suggestions. Uh, you know, I mean, the thing about the machine deal is, is I've yet to uh, meet a machine that, that felt like a friend, you know, and, and that's what we charge our, our customer service reps with is, is friendly service, and we want people to feel like they're ordering their burger from their friend. And so I guess, you know, thank you for the suggestions, but I guess we're just going to stay the course right now. All right, I'll take that hat off. <laughs> <laughs> we had a little fun with that. But, uh, you know, when you have a winning recipe, you, you defend it. Or else if you're going to lose your way. I mean, it, take Coca-Cola, right? If, if someone came in, if they hired a new CEO and he came in with all these numbers and graphs and said, what we need to do, I mean, we've had the same recipe for ages. Let's change the recipe. <laughs> you know, they would fire him and say, we're going to find a CEO who will stick with the original recipe. This has been working for us great for years. It's not about the recipe, and, and so that's what makes is you know central to this company, and so they defend that tooth and nail. They keep it in a vault somewhere, right? They don't even tell anyone what's in there. We just hope that it's not killing us when we drink it. So, uh, you know, we have to defend the way as well, because we were handed in a sense a brand, but it's so much more than a brand. Really, it's a message. It's a message that has the power to save. A message that has the power to change lives in powerful ways and forever. And if we lose that message, then we lose the movement. And I would say that on a personal level as well. If we lose the message, the heart of it, 
If we get distracted by other things and other, you know, and get off course and off track and, and start thinking it's about something that it's not about, if we lose the way, if we lose the message, then, then we'll lose the movement on a more personal level as well. And so today is about defending the way. Defending the way. And what I want us to do as we pick up in Scripture is to actually go back again to that moment when Paul was leaving Ephesus and, and the whole riot thing had happened. And if, if you missed any of this uh, craziness, then you can go back and find any of those messages that we've done so far on cypressstreet.org. listen But uh, basically... There was a big riot, and Paul had already decided his time in Ephesus was about up anyway. So he left town. He had the leaders of Ephesus meet him in this town outside of Ephesus. And, and they just had kind of a last heart-to-heart. And he told them, this is going to be the last time you'll ever see me. And so it was a sad and a sober kind of meeting. Uh, they were grief-stricken. They were trying to convince him not to go back to Jerusalem because they were sure that it was going to be bad for him, that he was either going to end up in chains or end up dead. And sure enough, he ended up in chains. Uh, but... At this last meeting, listen to what he said to them. He said, keep watch over yourselves. He's talking to the leaders here at the church in Ephesus. And all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church which he bought with his own blood. God loves the church. And then listen to this. I know that after I leave... Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. It's a little extreme, isn't it, Paul? I mean... You've taught them the message, you're, you know, you're leaving them in, in good hands, and I mean, why are you so bent out of shape about protecting and defending the message, defending the way? But he says, we've got to defend it both from the outside, these savage wolves coming in, and we've got to defend it from the inside, people from their own community that would rise up and, and try to draw people away from the way. And so he taught us, defend the message from the inside, defend the message from the outside. This was his parting warning to the church in Ephesus and to their leaders. Defend the message. Because Paul knew, I mean, this early fledgling movement that had just gotten off the ground. I mean, three years is not a long time. The gospel was first entered into this pagan community. Three years later, he's leaving and he's begging them. Defend the way. Because if we lose the message, we lose the movement. And they couldn't afford to do that. Now fast forward a few more years. you know, And, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus from prison, right? We looked at that last week. Fast forward a few years after that, maybe a decade after the founding of this church. And he writes to a young pastor named Timothy, who Paul had placed at Ephesus with a mission. And he writes, we have two letters that he wrote to this young pastor that he had placed in Ephesus. And the warning was the same. In one letter, he warned him to defend the way on the inside, from the inside. And then in the second letter, 
to defend it from the outside. And so we look, you see in, in 1 Timothy that we read just a few moments ago, he told Timothy, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people. Command is like a, it's like, it was a military term. Like this pastor, he's being instructed by an apostle, command these people to not teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. And now in the Jewish culture especially, genealogies were a big deal and, and wanting to prove you know, which tribe they came from and that they were better than you and so forth. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command that he's giving Timothy is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. All right? So the first thing that that Paul writes to Timothy about, he's still harping on this whole defend the way, defend the message, guard it with your life because it's the power to save and we can't lose it. If we lose the message, we lose the movement. And so he writes to Timothy, I told you to stay there, I put you there for this purpose. Keep these people in line. Don't let them distort the truth. Don't let them distract from the truth. And these are people from inside the church community in this letter that he addresses to Timothy. He says, tell these people that are in your church community to cut this out. And the, the best way to sum it up is what he said, controversial speculations. You ever know anyone that likes to bring up controversy all the time? that just thrives on that you know they're not happy until everyone else is miserable and arguing and then they're just in hog heaven you know <laughs> they thrive on that well timothy you know timothy cut that out tell them to stop it we don't need controversy over speculation speculation that's where this stuff crops up the most and there's plenty of things in our faith that you can speculate about there's plenty of things if you want to get into the nitty gritty details and, and all that, you know, the, the things that aren't as clear. You can speculate all day long. How beneficial is that to the movement, to the kingdom? He says they promote these controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. And let's just draw a quick contrast here between speculation and, and our faith. Because speculation is when people sit around and talk about philosophies or, or you know, brands of theology or, you know, well, I think it means this, well, I think it means that, and, well, and all this kind of stuff. Whereas our faith, our faith is based on eyewitness accounts of an event, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. It's, it's what these first apostles witnessed and passed on to the next generation. Our faith is based on what Jesus said and taught and what his apostles said and taught. Our faith is based on what he did and how he lived. That's what our faith is based on. But people have come along since then from inside and outside and have tried to kind of, yeah, they'll claim Jesus, but then they'll take him in whole new directions, right? And, and, and get off on tangents that aren't serving to advance the kingdom, that aren't serving to advance God's work. And so, we want to say, beware of meaningless talk instead of meaningful action. And when we're in the church, we want to be careful 
that, that we are guarding against. Meaningless talk instead of meaningful action. And just maybe a couple examples, and I hesitated to even give examples because I don't think that I've been, uh, you know, ordained by God to point out everybody else's flaws or anything. I'm sure I've got my own set of flaws. But there are certain things that when we look critically at the 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 community, even the church, the Christian community, you go in a Christian bookstore, you, uh, you know, you get turned on Christian television, whatever, there's, there's things that fall into this category of controversial speculation that distract from meaningful work. And, and one of those things to me is, is like the, uh, for example, the Left Behind series. Now, if you love the Left Behind series and you read the Left Behind series, great. Uh, but if, if, you, uh, if you could read it as fiction and move on with your life, then more power to you. But if you're one of the people that got bogged down in that, and now you know everything is well. Well, what is this? And what's this a sign of? And oh my goodness, is who are the three horsemen? And and is the Pope the uh, Antichrist? And and you know I've got to read all the signs and and figure all this out. And you know we probably all have a friend or two like that. I know I do. And it's just it's not really it's controversial because not everyone agrees it's speculation uh, most of it because you don't know nobody knows and, and it's distracting from meaningful action and in many cases turning people on the outside off from the message it's not part of the essential message of Christ yet Christ returning is sure and the fundamental truths around that but to go off into all these you know, endless speculations, that's not helpful. Another brand of this that's more subtle, perhaps, is what I would call the critics. And it's one thing to critique the church. And in some ways, you know, I think especially pastors and leaders were called to critique things in the church. But we are called to do it in a gentle way, in a loving way, with the purpose of bringing people along patiently. And, and there's a brand of criticism in the church that... that just likes to point out what is wrong with everyone else, right? And it's never about you know, owning their part in the problems or anything, but it's, this comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes from people of all different uh, persuasions in the faith and backgrounds, but there's the people who would say, you know, well, the King James Version is the only version you can use and still call yourself a Christian. Or, or there's people who would say, uh, you know, you can go to those big churches, but you know that God's not in those deals. They're not teaching the truth or they wouldn't be big. Uh, and then there's the people who say, well, you don't go to one of those small churches. They're not healthy. You don't take your kids there. They'll ruin them. Uh, there's people who would say, you know, well, you can't be a Christian and vote for this political candidate. And the list could go on and on and on. And these I would call just group into one big lump of the critics. And they love to indulge in meaningless talk rather than meaningful action. So let's guard against it. There's another letter from Paul to the Apostle Timothy. We call it 2 Timothy because we're real creative with the way we name these things. So, uh, so second letter to Timothy. And, and he writes to Timothy on this one about guarding and defending the way from the outside. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. That means I'm serious about this. And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up 
with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. I call this from the outside because the kinds of things that this teaching often involves is worldly stuff, things from the culture that we were supposed to have left behind in our past, and, and yet these people don't want to let that go, and so they find for themselves teachers who will tell them it's alright to hang on to pieces of their past and, and to things that the world values that God says he does not value. And so that, in that sense, it's from the outside. Of course, there's other kinds of um, dangers and false teachings from the outside, you know, false religions and cults and things that may uh, you know, use the name of Jesus, but they twist it into something else altogether. Uh, but for most of us, you know, we're not, most of us in this room are not imminently in danger of being converted to a cult, I hope. <laughs> but, but most of us are in danger of wanting to hear what we want to hear. It's just kind of human, fallen nature. And, and Paul, you know, just before that, had pointed out all these things that, that you know, tend to trip people up in these last days, as he called them. You know, the, the time period between when Jesus ascended and when he returns. And he says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. And it's in the context of that list that he says, look, Timothy, people are going to search out what their itching ears want to hear. And I heard a, you know, you may have heard of Francis Chan. He was, he's a, a prominent teacher in the church nowadays. He spoke at our uh, Church of God convention that we had in Oklahoma a little while back. And and as I was preparing this message, I thought back to something he had said that I remembered. And, and luckily they still had the video available for us. And so I just want to show you a video clip of him talking about this very passage and this very issue for a moment. Now, Paul warned Timothy. He says, look, in the last days, people aren't going to put up with sound doctrine. Right? He didn't say, hey, Timothy, there's going to be revival. In the last days, man, you just preach and people are going to flock to your churches. No, he says, no, in the last days, a time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, 2 Timothy 4.3. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So what is that about? Is it because they studied the word of God and go, you know what, I think I've got better theology now. No, they have these passions. Things welling from within their own fleshly desires and they go, I want this, so let me find a teacher that will tell me it's okay to do that. It's not, it has nothing to do with theology. They were going, you know what, I think God wants me to leave my wife. I was reading scripture and I got that from here. No, in their heart, they wanted to leave their wife. She was annoying. She was this. She was that. Whatever it was. And they go, well, let me find a teacher who will tell me it's okay. Christian bookstores are filled with those books. 
What, what do you want to do? Any, any sin you want, I'll find you a, a teacher with a PhD to tell you it's okay. And people are going to start going to those places. And he says, you know, they're not going to put up with sound doctrine. Yeah. And so it is that we can say that beware of, of teachings that emphasize people's happiness more than their holiness. That emphasize happiness more than holiness. And, and you can find, like you said, people who will tell you anything. I, when I was in middle school, there was this um, kid that I knew that he, he would you know, cuss all the time. He professed to be a Christian. He said, well, you know, I, I just... I cuss and then, and then I ask God to forgive me. And I just do that each time and, and I'm good. And then, okay, whatever you say, friend. Uh, and, then, and then a few years later, I'm in college and, and I had a friend that liked to hang out in the drunken party scene all the time. And, and he said, look, man, this is, you know, I'm just going and hanging out with the sinners so I can be a witness. Like, you're being a witness while you're, you know, drunk. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not convinced. And... And then now, you know, fast forward, and, and I've got friends who, who, you know, try to do theological calisthenics to say that the Bible justifies the uh, LGBT lifestyle, and, and they, you know, try to pull from Scripture and say, you know, I've, I've had friends say, we need to work on our theology to prove that this is okay. Like, we need to get into Scripture and figure out how we can make Scripture say this is okay. And, and we're told by politicians and by celebrities all the time that, that we need to get with the times that we need to get with the times that, that what's important I mean I just heard this being preached uh, last night by, by a celebrity you know fantastic musician sitting there saying uh, you know that and it sounds great just everybody needs to just be themselves and, and explore who they are and, and you know and just try different versions of themselves and, and you know this, this idea of just, just find what makes you happy and, and do that and, and that sounds great, and it sounds, you know, that's what people love to hear. Get with the times, they tell the church. But the church has never been about the times. <laughs> and it's never been popular, what we've taught. It's never been popular. It wasn't popular when Jesus first said it. It wasn't popular when his apostles shared it. It, went, it ran counter to what culture thought was wise and good and beneficial. But the God who created this world said, here's how you can live the best way. This is what's best for you. This is what's best for your human society. And yes, it runs counter to the self-destructive way we've been living for thousands of years. It does. And it will continue to do so. And so they called them names back then, and they'll call us names today. But we have to defend the message both from the inside and meaningless talk, and also from the outside that emphasizes happiness rather than holiness. And so what do we do with this? Like, practically, what do we do with that this week? I mean, the first thing we have to do is, is we have to either tune out or confront those from the inside who want to distract us from the mission and lead us down rabbit trails that lead to meaningless talk instead of meaningful action. We have to guard in our own hearts and in our own life. We have to learn to listen critically. 
and say, is this, you know, gospel-centered? Is this going to help further the kingdom? Or, or is this a rabbit trail? Is this something that's controversial? Is it speculation? And the other thing we have to do is we have to say um, no to those from within or without that want to change the dialogue, that want to, you know, those critical people, the critics that want to say what everything is wrong but they don't want to take any ownership in it. We have to watch out for that. We have to watch out for those who want to change the dialogue to, uh, you know, from the gospel to creation science or the gospel to... Uh, you know, which political party or which version of the Bible and all those things we talked about. We don't let that become a distraction for you. And then, to the world. To the world that says, you know, we've got to get with the times. To the world that says that we, you know, call those bigots, hateful, Racists. I mean, first thing, we have to make sure that we're not any of those things. But second of all, we have to continue to cling to God's truth, even when it's not popular. We cannot sacrifice truth to appease people. That's not even really love. Nor can we say that you are one of us when your lifestyle doesn't match up with what Jesus, the way Jesus said we're supposed to live. If we get labeled, if we get persecuted, if, you know, if they try to tell us that, uh, that we are hateful, that we are racist, that we are any of those things, then we have to be willing to first, like I say, look in the mirror, make sure we're not those things, and then second, continue to love people and pray for people. I mean, you know, if, if they won't say that, that, uh, that I hate poor people when I empty my pockets to help empower them, then so be it. If they want to say that I'm homophobic, you know, but I still hit my knees in prayer for those people that I love who are in that lifestyle then so be it. The list goes on. But we have to be the people who defend the message, who say, you know, just because I don't believe that that's what's best for you or for us, but I believe what God said is best for us, you know, if, you, if that means that I get persecuted, if that means that I get labeled, well, that's nothing new. That's been happening since the beginning. They did it to Jesus. They did it to his apostles. And just as they were willing to suffer for your sake, so will I, so will we be willing to suffer for your sake, to uphold what we believe is best for you, even when it hurts us. We defend the message. Because if we lose the message, we lose the movement. If we start to look like the rest of the world, we've lost the movement. If we get distracted by meaningless talk instead of meaningful action, we've lost the movement. 
And so what was true 2,000 years ago remains true today. If I had to sum up these two statements into one thing that, you know, as you try to filter the things that come at you from the world and from inside the church even, I would say to beware of any teaching that sounds easy and cheap. You know, it's, it's easy to sit around and talk. Talk is cheap. <laughs> it's a lot harder to push the gospel, to push the kingdom forward, to advance God's work. It's easy to sit around and speculate and argue. It's a lot harder to, get, to roll up your sleeves and get to work. And likewise, it's a lot easier to tell people, oh, it's fine. You know, that's an that's a okay way to live. You can be a follower of Christ and still go on living that way. That's fine. It's easier to tell people that than it is to look at a real human being in the eyes and say, I love you, but I don't believe that the life you're living is best for you. I don't believe it honors God. Because here's what God says. It's a lot harder to do that. And so there's not many Christians that do. And there's not many churches that do. And the ones that do, a lot of times they don't do it with a lot of love and grace. And so then, you know, the world jumps on that and says, look at these hateful people. But may it be said of us that if we're going to be labeled any of those things, that it's never because we acted in any of those ways, but only because they could not tolerate the message of Jesus Christ, whom we believe is the only way to God and is the only best way to live. And if they can't tolerate that, then so be it. But may it never be because we actually are any of those things. So we guard our hearts and we guard the mission. We guard the message. Remember, Paul begged that church for years with tears, he said, every day and night. Defend the message. Wolves are going to come in from the outside. False teachers are going to rise up from the inside and try to take people off with them. But you defend the way. Why was Paul so adamant about this? I mean, with tears in person and with letters and sending this pastor and saying, here's your mission, Timothy. Tell the false teachers to shut their mouths. And guard against those from the outside who would come in and say whatever people want to hear instead of preaching the truth of the gospel. This is your task, Timothy. Do it and do it faithfully. Why was Paul so adamant about it? And it wasn't just Paul. The other apostles that we read, almost all of their letters focus at least partly and some primarily on this issue of false teachers rising up from within and without, distracting from the message. Or distorting the message. Because they knew that if we lose the message, we lose the movement. So I say to you, on a, on a, both on a corporate whole church level and on a personal level for you. Guard the message. Defend it. Defend it with your life if you have to. Seriously, people have done that for generations. Christians have defended this with their lives. Why? Because this message is so precious.
It's the message that tells us of a God who didn't just leave us to die, of a God who didn't just leave us in our folly, but he sent Jesus, right? Christmas. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He taught us a better way of life, didn't he? He died for us. He rose again. He sent us his Holy Spirit to help us live out this way. And he promised to return again and set everything right. And until that day, we defend the way. Amen? Next week, as we wrap this thing up, we find that you can get this piece, this defend the way thing, you can get it absolutely right and still lose your way. So if that's not a cliffhanger, I don't know what is. <laughs> but we're going to talk about that. Our, our last message of this series will be titled, Losing, your, Losing the Way. Losing the Way. Sure to be an uplifting one, right? But it's one we need to hear. Let's pray together today. Would you stand, in fact, if you're able? Father, we thank you for this way, this message, this gospel that is the power to save, that is our hope. It's so precious. And God, we are so blessed in this day and age to live in a time... We have an advantage, God, that the Ephesians didn't have because every time we wonder if we're getting off message, we can go back to the New Testament, to our Bibles. And we can read what you said and we can read what your apostles said and we can get back to the original message. Help us to be faithful students of your word and of your way and help us to be faithful defenders of it as well in the midst of a culture that often wants to distract or distort the truth. We thank you, Lord, for your way. Holy Spirit, help us not only to live it, but to defend it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.